right welcome back to the black menaces podcast first episode of the year my name is nate bird and i'm here with my co-host rachel weaver we are so happy to be back with all of you in the new year absolutely so we're going to jump right into it uh, with more inclusion than ever right we did a lot of black historical figures last year and obviously the black menaces goal is to empower all marginalized groups and so one of the first things that we wanted to do was start by including some more um, more historical figures, people that maybe we don't know as much about. And so um, one of the first people that I thought of to do, because it's someone that I don't know very much about, is our man Cesario Estrada Chavez, um, also known as Cesar Chavez. Um, so he was born in... Yuma, Arizona, on March 31st, 1927. He was one of six children, and he was actually nicknamed Mansi because of his love for Manzanilla tea. Um, in 1933, he began attending Laguna, Fa, uh, Laguna Dam School, um, and there speaking Spanish was forbidden, and he was made to change his name to Caesar. Um, a defining moment for Caesar was in 1937 when his grandmother died, um, and his grandma's name was Dorotea. Um, and she, uh, when she died, her property and land were sold off to cover some back taxes. And so he began to regard that as an injustice against his family with the banks, lawyers, and Anglo-American power structure as the villains of the incident. Um, he grew up Roman Catholic and his beliefs, um, increasingly influenced him to see the poor as a source of moral goodness in society. In 1944, he joined the Navy and served in, uh, was stationed in Saipan, Guam, and San Francisco before receiving an honorable discharge in 1946. In 1947, he joined the National Farm Labor Union, which later became the National Agriculture Wor Agricultural Workers Union. Um, and during that time and afterwards, he helped lead many protests to provide better conditions for workers. In 1948, he married uh, Helen Favela and uh, then they settled in San Jose, California for a short time. But his activism with various laborers unions and companies meant that his family had to move quite a bit. Um, and during that time, he was the co-founder of the United Farm Workers Association. He formed that in 1962, along with Dolores Huerta. And then he also helped create uh, the first union contracts that required rest periods, clean drinking water, hand washing stations, and protective clothing against pesticide exposure, which is wild. The fact that somebody had to be like, hey, you should treat people like people and make sure they have water to drink while they're working. It just goes to show how wild um, and how immoral capitalism can be if it goes unchecked. So he was uh, he was the one that helped create some of the first contracts to um, provide just like basic um, health and safety um, regulations for, for laborers. And on August 8th, 1994, his family received the Presidential Medal of Freedom from Bill Clinton. I believe that was about a year after he died. He died in 1993, um, if I am right. And then also his slogan, which is very famous in um, Mexican culture, is Si Se Puede, or it was one of you know one of the slogans that he came up with um, when he was leading strikes and, and things like that, was Si Se Puede, um, which is something that I've definitely heard before. Um, but it actually was the inspiration for Obama's Yes, We Can slogan in 2008. So there's a little bit of information about Cesar Chavez. The first time I learned about him was in Dr. Ruth's class in um, Unit 2. And um, it, it was very, very inspirational. And learning about, you know, just a lot of things that happened in California with a lot of just Hispanic and Latino um, 
stories are just not told as often and, but they're very compelling and they did very critical work for their community and the um, needs that they had at the time cool cool and with that we want to jump into the next part of the the show we've got a guest with us tanner you want to go ahead and introduce yourself my friend yeah hey guys uh i'm tanner um i also go by tj i go to the university of north carolina at chapel hill and I am the National Director of Menace Chapters with the Black Menaces. Um, I'm a public policy major, and I am a big fan of, of blockchain technology and how it can be uh, used in the political space. Ooh, we got to talk about that because I'm interested in blockchain technology, but I don't know any. Like, I don't know very much about it. So I it my, is my passion. <laughs> I got my little Mara and my little Riot stocks, and I just set them to the side, and I'm just like praying that they'll go back up one of these days. Hey, we just gotta uh, weather the storm, and right, then things gotta, are gonna turn around. Too. What do they say? You got a hodl? Oh uh, yeah, you got a hodl. Yeah, hold on for dear life. Hold on for dear life. That's what I'm doing. But yeah, I just let it sit there. We'll see Wait, what happens. Question. So, what's the difference just between like because we don't have public policy at BYU? So like, yeah. is that similar to political science or different? Yeah, it's very similar to political science. Like public policy is in itself like a part of political science, but public public policy is more about like how we can like create like effective like policy to and how it affects like our constituents and things of that nature rather than like understanding like how like our government really works and like how it like the relationship between like the constituents and the like uh actual like politicians and okay yeah that makes sense that makes sense cool cool Cool, cool. So with that, do you that, that kind of ties into some of the work that you do with the menace chapters? Do you kind of want to explain um, what drew you to that and what um, like what you, what kind of the, what work you do with the with the menace chapters? Yeah, for sure. So like, I like pretty much all of us in the other chapters outside of BYU. I saw the Black Menaces on my For You page and like I love the work that you guys were doing. Like every uh, different video came up on my For You page and I I just love to see like I, people asking questions that just don't get asked in like our everyday life. And so I think that work is incredibly important and that's what drew me to um, reach out to you guys. And for my job as the National Director of Managed Chapters, my job is to manage the different uh, chapters that we've created across the country and like creating an organizational system for us to use. And so then we can work in a more efficient manner. And so I somewhat serve as a liaison between Sebastian and the chapters. Good stuff, good stuff. Okay, I'm curious. Which video came across, uh, which video of ours came across your For You page first? I'm just curious. Um, I, I think it was, is the Confederate flag racist? Okay. I think so. It was either that one or uh, asking like different people if they can recognize the different historical figures. And I would like play along and 
I I got him. <laughs> right. So you were early on. That's like an early OG fan. That's back when we were just doing stuff. Literally, no, not a lot of thought. Like we would literally meet up on campus and we'd be like, sure, go randomly do this. Like so, that's that's fun because we 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 had no idea what we were doing back then. <laughs> But y'all were doing great work. Y'all had the recipe. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah, we were certainly trying, certainly trying. And yeah, it's been been an adventure, just trying to like figure out what questions to ask and and how to ask them and all of that. And um, yeah, you've done a lot of good work with the men's chapters, like coaching them and helping them to to figure out how to know their audience. You know, I appreciate that. Yeah, and I'm very excited to bring on some new menace chapters so if you're listening and you're interested we do have a link in our uh, tiktok bio um okay so i kind of want to we want to learn a little bit more about your experience at unc and kind of like what that has been like and obviously because that's what obviously being a black person in america and being a pwi is what led you to be like to you know feel like what we were saying resonated with you and so what um what, do you, what experiences have you had just in your life or maybe at your PWI specifically, either in before you got to college or at college that um, has impacted you in any way? Well, I'd say that like it all, like when I got in as a like COVID freshman, like it was very difficult to like meet people. And so as a part of that, my older brother, um, who is a part of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated? He really encouraged me to actually rush the the white uh, the white fraternities, so then I could just like go out and like experience some of those things because it's not like the same experience for like a D nine, and, and so like I did that, and I went to a lot of different like uh, fraternities, and one thing was just like very clear. And that just was, there are very few POC people just like in these spaces. And so like, I would go there as the only like black person to uh, like meet the brothers and like they were like, not not my people, <laughs> they, yeah. they just weren't my people. And I even got a chance to like go to some of the patrons that did have like more like diverse like um one of them was like even 50 percent but like it wasn't really like my my kind of thing like i would hear people who just weren't very like socially conscious speaking and those voices were often the loudest and, and so like even as i was just trying to like meet anybody because you you couldn't meet anyone during this time so it's like you're going there and you're just meeting brothers and things like that. And like, it, it didn't feel like they took any like consideration and like what identities might be present, like as a non-binary person, you know, and as a queer person and as an autistic person, like they were oftentimes like using slurs and like showing like clear, like sexism and things like that that made it like feel very unwelcoming i mean i did meet like some cool people but like um that was kind of like my first like taste of unc and so like as things started to like um open up a little bit more and we like kept our mask mandates like we would have people writing on a chart a, a chalk 
like on the like floors yeah. on our school's campus, like that we're, we we want the mask mandate to end right now. And this is like 2021, like this is like spring 2021. Mm. So like we're still very much like in the thick of it. Yeah. And they're like, I they're like, I can't breathe in these things. And I like, yeah, Man. and especially the usage of those terms like right. it it felt like a bastardization of like the black struggle right very insensitive and very very deliberate too yeah, yeah. almost like who was it marjorie taylor green when they raided trump's when they raided mar-a-lago and she was like defund the fbi like very deliberate language for sure mm-hmm. for sure we have that over here too though we had, and our school didn't even have a mandate. Like it was there in 2020. And then I'm pretty, and then we had it winter 21 and then fall 21. I remember they took it away and I was like. Yep, I remember yeah. that. And I still wore a mask everywhere. Time, yeah, at that time I thought we still should have been wearing masks, mm-hmm. but yeah. For sure. Yeah, and we had a lot of COVID breakouts on campus too. So like there was no reason was, that they needed to be yeah, I, I wore my mask to every class. It was like, I do not trust these people. They'd be coughing everywhere. Like, and the things you see at BYU is just a different place, man. Yeah. Well, I think that's interesting that you had that experience with like um, white, um, just Greek life. It's, it's very niche, mm-hmm. you know, a very specific type of people that even attend the university normally are in those circles. And so, um, it kind of just shows you almost like the more extremes, which is good to know, though, at the same time. Right. Um, and yeah, I can only imagine we don't even have Greek life um, present on BYU campus. So I can only imagine what that type of environment is like at a PWI. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely interesting because UNC is like 50 percent of our, our school's population is involved in greek life so it is that's a lot yeah now is chapel hill is chapel hill the main campus uh it is okay wow man that's a lot 50 percent. holy cow how many students are there uh thirty thousand. oh wow that's a lot yeah wow how many um different chapters are there Uh, like 40 something like that but i think i think it also like includes like our um like professional organizations but like yeah it's still like very very prevalent here Mm -hmm. yes and from from what i understand most like most white um greek um organizations they don't last past college is that right that's what i've heard yeah okay yeah, like I know for like the Divine Nine, those are all things that's like a lifelong thing. But for most college, like uh, for most white ones, it's it's like it, it starts with college and then it ends when you graduate. And that's kind of it. Like there's not really like a continuation outside of that. Yeah, that's how my uh, bro- my other brother was joined like a IFC fraternity. And like that's what he has noticed his experience to be like, even though like he'll you still keep like friendships, but not like participation in your organization. Gotcha. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, my my knowledge of non if it's not the D nine, if it's not a BGLO, <laughs> I really don't know much about it and I couldn't tell you. <laughs> um, and that's just because we don't have a lot of, you know, 
I just didn't have experiences because BYU doesn't have um, Greek life at all. So yeah, it, <laughs> it's interesting to like go to like the different like parties, like IOC versus the Divine Nine party. Like oh, yeah, <laughs> it's sure. night and day. Sure. It is oh, night and day. Look. I already, I already know. Like I, based on what I've seen, because I have gone to the U with, um, because we're a citywide chapter. We, I wasn't a citywide chapter um, when I was an undergrad, and so I would go with um, some of the my line sister who goes to the U, and so I was like, wow, when we would go to, because we'd go to like their Greek events for everyone, and so then there I was like, wow, okay, and the way people would talk to us and come up to us. It's like wow, okay. I can only I can only imagine what that was like, what the difference is like. Yeah, <laughs> it is definitely it's definitely um, <laughs> interesting to say the least, for sure. Um, and then another just like experience that I would say that like got me to being in like the black menaces was just like back in middle school, like. I had two different experiences that I would say that really set me down this path of wanting to be like more like socially conscious. Like the first one being just a like church retreat that we were going on. And me and my, my church was predominantly black. And so like we were on this like men's retreat for the day and we just went to the park to play capture the flag and, and some neighborhood for one of the youth pastors like that he lived in and we had the cops called on us mm. and so like they had us like all sitting down on the curb like tasers out like it was Wild. it was no joke and, this and we were school. like middle and high school yet and so like just seeing that it was experiencing that it was definitely like very like traumatizing for me being at such a young age like very like scary just not like knowing what was going on because we weren't trespassing or anything but they still kicked us out and so like we just had to like go home and then just like try to continue and and the whole night was just like off after that yeah whenever like an encounter like that happens it's always like a like just a very i don't even know what to how to describe it like solemn almost where it's just like yeah you just kind of realize that something is different, like that that things are not the same for you as they are for other people, you know. And it's like there's also like that I could have lost my life kind of feeling. And yeah, it takes like it's traumatic. Like it takes some time to come back from. For sure, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, and then like the the next experience that I had was wasn't race based, but like it just like taught me that like I really cared about like activism. Was just in eighth grade like. I, I found out that like my school was going to be taking recess off the um, uh, like schedule. They were going to put like three minutes back into like our classes and then like increase like the time between classes. Oh, no. And I was like, I, I need my 30 minutes. Right. Like you, you got to give me That's my 30 essential. minutes. Like, it's not even a question. I, I'm saying. And so I just remembered, like, for some reason, like, my elementary school teacher had told me, like, you know, we're actually legally required to give you guys recess, um, like, 30 minutes every day. And so, like, I looked up the law, and then I was like, yo, like, 
North Carolina code GCS dash S dash zero 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 says that all students between uh, kindergarten through eighth grade need 30 minutes of physical activity every single day. And you are not providing this for me. And so I email like the board of education for Wake County public schools. Wow. And they, they sent me back saying, um, well, maybe we can encourage brisk walking between classes. Oh no. Mm -mm. Brisk walking. <laughs> and I was, have they never seen the hallway of a school? Like literally. And I was I like in a track school. So that means like all four of our classrooms were in a pod that was probably 10 square feet. Uh, and so like 120 people were trying to get into their uh, classroom in this little tiny square. And so I was like, where, where are we walking to? <laughs> right. Like, where are we walking to? They're That's all right wild. next to each other. And so then, like, I send home, I, like, write up, like, a speech. I write up, like, a petition. And I pass the petition around, like, everyone uh, in the school. And then people are, like, handing these petitions back to me. And the principal, like, gets wind of it and, like, pulls me out of class one day. And is like, all right, open up your locker. So I open up my locker. And then she's like, open up your back, open up your backpack. I open it up. And then she takes the petitions out of my backpack and throws them away. Oh, my God. That's crazy. That's not even. Oh, that's so bad. That's so wrong on so many levels. Yeah. And then, like, continuously, like, I was, like, like, they would go in on me. Like, one time they sent me to the principal's office for standing up to get a napkin in a cafeteria. Literally. Like, nothing else happened. I didn't talk to nobody. I walked to the napkin, came back to my seat, and then they pulled me out sent me to the principal's office. Man, they were trying to break you early, man. That's for real. real. They, they knew you were a rebel, and they, they said, we got to get him now. <laughs> yup, and one time for singing happy birthday to one of my friends at the lunch table. Like, it was literally this kind of stuff. Man. <laughs> They were, they were really, they, they really had an FBI agent on you. Like, if he says anything, send him another principal. Like, my goodness. They were pressed. They were mad pressed. And, like, it didn't seem like anything would change, like, while I was still at, uh, in middle school. But the very next year, like, they had recess back. Interesting. Very it was almost like they didn't want to give me the satisfaction of like being able to <laughs> enjoy yeah. the fruits of my labor. No, that's it. That's the part. They don't want to ever give you the credit for what you do or like what you point out. A hundred percent. Yeah. It yep, honestly, it like, sounds like they were trying to break you. Like they didn't want you to like have any confidence in yourself. For sure, because like I took it like all the way to the, like I was emailing every single board member yeah. like individually, and yeah. <laughs> That's why it, it was honestly a lot. Like I wrote a speech, uh, and that's actually what I wrote my essay to get into UNC about, like this whole process. That's amazing. Yeah, good on both of y'all. Because you know, to hear stories from from you, Rachel, and then from you, Tanner, I didn't find like my activism bug until I was like already in college. So for y'all to have been like, you know, activists at a young age is, I look up to that. I admire it. So respect to both of you. You woke up like this. <laughs> I'm on the right track, baby. I was born this way. 
<laughs> love it, love it, love it. Um, okay, I have another question. Yeah. Um, if there's one thing you could change about your school, or if you were like given the power to change one policy to positively influence marginalized students at your school, what what would you do? That's a loaded question, but if you had to pick one thing, what do you think could bring the most change? I think that if I could change one thing, it would be by giving, uh, like creating like a committee for members of marginalized communities and giving that committee like one person that uh, gets a seat on the board of trustees like the student body president has. Like, I, I think that like issues like these, especially with UNC being like the oldest public university in the country, like our issues are deep rooted and like no one chain is going to be able to like fix all of our problems. But like, it's that continued like attack that continued like having a system in place that is dedicated to addressing like these issues that will forever like continue to come up. So I like answer. that. I love that. Mm -hmm. Very good. Very good. Thank I love you. that your student body president gets to meet the board of trustees, though. That is not a thing at BYU, but that's that's actually like awesome. Mm -hmm. We don't even have a student body president. Really? No, we have. What is it called? BYU. Oh, so it's like BYU, BYU Student, student Association, but basically it's just kind of like a like a puppet government that's that's overseen really by. Yeah, but it's overseen by like the the BYU board or whatever, so like it gives you the illusion of of, of things. But like I've actually known, I, I don't know if he's still president. He's probably not president anymore. But I've talked to you know some former presidents, and they tell me like, yeah, we don't really have any power. Like we just kind of meet administrators or like visitors to the school, and we go to meetings, and that's about it. But like as far as like having actual power for change and like thing doing things for the students, there's really not a lot there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've I've spent a lot of time like evaluating like my school's um student government in the last like month or so. Hmm. And like I think our school has more like ability to change things, but like it's oftentimes like stopped by like at this highest level of the board of trustees mm. or like at, at the chancellor level because like we we try to like do things like um recently they passed a uh bill that gave like muslim students like we recognize their holidays and i think that's like really powerful yeah. but like we don't get those days off though like it's not like mm -hmm. christmas or um easter where we're like all like getting the benefits of this holiday where we're all like really in a state of like celebration for these like big like christian like holidays mm -hmm. but they they don't have that same like uh school-wide like recognition for muslim holidays or any other religion hmm. yeah that's interesting as a public university yeah 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 and you know the thing with that too i feel like the excuse a lot of times when it comes to not giving those days off is like this idea that oh the curriculum will suffer if you know if we take too many days off and honestly the amount of time that i've seen like wasted in classes or you know the amount of things that we learn in school that aren't actually useful is like there's more than enough time for for this all to be done and really i think what it comes down to is just like 
funding and, and time and things like that. Because if we just revamped the whole education system, made it like a year round kind of thing where, you know, you're not like you go consistently, but it's not just like hammering everything into you for months at a time. Then you get a day off here, a day off there. If they just did it like one month on two weeks off, something like that, I feel like it'd be a much more effective system. And it would also make room for people of all like religions and creeds to be able to celebrate, you know, important holidays and things like that. Maybe not every single thing, but like, you know, I think that there, you know, there are certain populations where like, there's enough people to where it should be, you know, we should be able to respect the, the holidays that they celebrate and like give them that time. I agree. And like, uh, I think that how like studies have shown like for workplaces, four day work weeks are better i think yeah. like schools like very much have the power and ability to like do policies like that on like a university level and especially because we know we can meet twice a week with tuesday thursday classes mm -hmm. so why are we still yes. coming into school on friday that's facts that is facts and there's a lot of monday wednesday classes too like yeah, it's only yep. those generals that keep you in Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I find like once you get to the upperclassmen status, you don't have as many Friday gym, classes. Gym classes too. I feel like meet on Fridays. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, truth be told, I would Friday and a lab. Ooh, don't in even a lab. Not, not the, me, them Saturday morning labs. My goodness, bro. Make me. Y'all had die. Saturday morning labs. I, there was one class I, mean, I had to do I mean, a Saturday morning lab. Yeah, it was terrible. Wow, I was heated when I found out my school had like Saturday like final exams. I was like, "Why am I coming in on a Saturday for a final?" <laughs> nah. I remember my worst one. I had to do a final. I think it started at was it eight o'clock or was it nine o'clock? Yeah, the final. It was like an assigned time, and they said, "Yeah, you have to come in at eight o'clock." And I think it was like a Thursday night or something like that. I was like, "No, this is out of pocket." Like. Crazy. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Like it's one thing if you go and like willingly do that. Like if it's the last day of finals and you got one test left and it's nine o'clock, that's a different story. But then when they assigned you a final at eight o'clock at night, it's like man. It nah, terrible. that feel personal. <laughs> <laughs> right, it felt extremely personal. So this question: What advice do you have for white students at your campus who want to support black students at your campus? the the first thing i'd say is i would say like i i don't want like white people to like be in a position where they feel like they're invading black spaces but when like a member of the black community like comes out and reaches out to you invites you to something that is in a black space like don't don't feel like you're intruding like don't feel like you're not wanted there like we can be very like welcoming and like to see like how like black people like experience like black joy like is a wonderful thing and just like being in the lives of like the black people in your community and just like getting to know us as like individuals and then hopefully like even like being able to participate in community because like i'm rocking with mark and mark is rocking with us mm -hmm. <laughs> you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and so <laughs> Like, don't, don't be afraid to be that mark, you know? Like, oftentimes, like, those are the people that get the party. Just like, even more alive because we're like, hey, normally we don't right, see a lot right. of people like you around, but, like, they can bring just, like, yeah, just something different. I think that, like, doing your own research, like, on your own time,
like it's always like nice to be able to like ask questions to like a black person but like it's not our job to educate you like i feel like a lot of black people are are like willing to clarify things that you have uh, questions on but we want to see that like you are putting in some of the work by yourself you know and i think that like listening to podcasts like these is like a great way to like start to do your research, you know, and, and just like trying to learn more about like our culture and things like that. So then you can make sure that you're not like appropriating it in any way or like disrespecting it, you know. Uh, I think that like just trying to like understand the black experience more. Yeah. I love that. Appreciate you. Thank you for sharing that. For sure. And yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Just stick around. I think a lot of people, um, they'll come into black spaces and they feel like instantly uncomfortable because it's so different from what they're used to. But if you stick around, yep. we'll, we'll accept you. Like we may, we may be like a little like wary, like what's going on here? Are you going to be somebody that sticks around? Are you going to be somebody that just is here for, you know, for whatever. But once we know you're going to stick around, oh man, you're, you're in, you're invited to the cookout every time. <laughs> Always. For sure. Uh, all you got to do is look on, you know, TikTok and see just black people hyping up people. Like, you know, you ever seen like those videos of, like the kids in middle school like doing the dance battle and like that white kid comes out and he's like doing like some weird like little two-step thing and he's like going crazy and all the yeah. black kids ah, just hyping them up. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we do <laughs> with the ultimate hype, man. For sure. Yes. For sure. I think definitely. Like, that's one of the most fun times is when you got that one white guy who's just like not afraid, you know, like yeah. where you're just like you're just like confident and that you're you're okay and you you feel good about being in this space. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that like becomes even more of a valuable experience because like then just for like a couple of hours, couple of minutes, couple of seconds like like they see what black people go through or at pwis like every day it's just one little aspect like mm -hmm. of going into a room going into a space and not seeing anybody who looks like you you know yeah and i i feel like experiences like those can teach you like so much you know mm -hmm. like you can you can read all you want but like until like you like have really felt just like for a second like a minority yeah like I, I think it's eye-opening i love that so come walk a mile in yeah. our shoes now For while sure. while we have you here i wanted to i'm sorry rachel did i cut you off no go ahead go ahead okay well i wanted to ask so if i heard correctly you identify as non-binary is that correct yeah okay if you if you'd be willing to share that i'd love to hear like how you um how you came to identify in that way and then also, like, what are some misconceptions that people have about non-binary or about being non-binary? Um, if you could define it as well and just kind of talk about your experience with that intersection. Okay, yeah. So, like, being non-binary means that, like, I don't identify as being a man or a woman. Like, I, I see myself as a person. And, like, I, I came to discovering this just because like growing up like my my mom and my dad would always tell me like what it means to be a man you know like you know like men do this men do that and, and then they'd be and they would like tell my sister as we're growing up like you know women do this women do that and like even my parents who are somewhat like contemporary christians 
like they they had like more like nuanced views like they were like oh yeah like if you're a man who can cook like oh these uh ladies don't love you like they they gonna need that <laughs> but but like <laughs> but like for me like they also like spent a lot of time talking about like just like this the strength or when i when i saw my dad like it was like this i don't think strength is uh the right word invulnerability uh, like the uh, uh, inability to like show weakness and be vulnerable the the like refusal to like be feminine in any way mm-hmm. like I, I remember like growing up my favorite color was purple because i really like grape flavored things mm. you know and, and then like i don't i don't know who it was in my family but one of them was like yeah you got to pick a new favorite color because like that that's there are only two colors you can't like you can't like pink you can't like purple you got to pick a new favorite color which is wild and, and i was right and I, I was like nah like come on like it, this is my favorite color like if i could wear purple every day i would mm-hmm. and, and like it, it was just like different like nuanced things like that of just like seeing people uh, like trying so hard to be like this like ultimate like masculine identity and, and I didn't want to be like that. I didn't want to be the one, like, or even in, like, relationships with other people. They're like, you're a man. You got to be, like, in control. And, like, all these, like, different, like, aspects of, like, toxic masculinity. Like, I wanted to, like, distance myself from that as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Because, like, as, like, a non-binary person, it's not that, like, I can't, like, um, like present masculinely ever like i definitely have a masculine side i would even say that like i am still like more predominantly masculine than i am feminine Mm -hmm. but like to be able to like show both sides of myself Mm -hmm. and not feeling like bound to like these gender norms like these expectations that people have when you say that you're a man or that you're a woman like that that's kind of how i arrived to this point like i I didn't want to be grouped in with like men or women. Like I just wanted to be a person, you know. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. I think like, thank you. Um, I, I think that like this is something that's very common within like the artistic community because like we go, we we like come into this world and like all these like social nuances that are just like that almost like grow within you as you like experience life as a neurotypical person like are things that come very difficult to like artistic people like i had to like very much learn like facial expressions and like tone and things like that to like understand like okay this person doesn't actually like me like they're just like saying nice things to me even Mm. though they don't really rock with me and stuff like that and so like having to like really learn like all of these like what does it mean to be a man what does it mean to be like a woman and and hearing all of that like i i didn't want to associate myself 
with either of those things. Like none, neither of those really felt like right to me, you know? Mm-hmm. Man, okay. That's interesting. I'm learning, I'm learning a lot of new stuff. I don't think I've ever actually had the chance to talk in depth with someone who identifies non-binary. And so hearing you like explain that, it just makes a lot of sense. Thank you for sharing it. Yeah, of course. And it's definitely something that like, I, yeah, um, it's it's something that I'm learning about right now. Like, it's definitely an experience, like, just like with being autistic, because I was diagnosed in June of 2020. So, oh, like, okay. this is something that is still, like, very fresh. Like, yeah. I was 18 years old when I found out that I was autistic. So that very much, like, has, like, flipped my life on its head to, like, understand. Like, I didn't start identifying with the term non-binary until like december of 2020 january of 2021 so like all of these are like new things for me and so it's really interesting to see like the like diversity within these like terms Mm -hmm. and and, like because no like one uh non-binary person or no one autistic person because of like no one person's experience is the same. Mm-hmm. And so just like, as I learn about this, it's just like, it, it feels like uh, a community that I was like born to be a part of, you know? Well, that. that makes sense. And um, you kind of, you kind of led into the next question I wanted to ask, which was about the intersection of, of you being autistic. Um, what was it like before you were diagnosed? Um, what was it like, what did it feel like after you were diagnosed? And then, like, how how has that kind of, like, changed uh, the way you see yourself and, like, see the world? So I think it's really interesting because, like, I went to a Montessori school until fifth grade. Oh, uh, like, okay. and Montessori schools are very different than just, like, public. Like, it was still, like, a public charter school, but mm-hmm. it was just a different kind of public school. Yeah, And so I, like... I'm about to go to, like, real public school in sixth grade, and I'm talking to my older brother, and I'm terrified. Like, I'm like, bro, like, these people are, like, they have such a different experience than I do, and, and, like, I'm afraid that I'm going to be the weird kid, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And my brother told me, like, fake it till you make it, man. And, like, he was like, I felt the same way, but sometimes, like, you just got to, like, you just gotta just like put on this little face and then like you'll be you'll you'll be fine and like i i think like that that was pretty good advice honestly like it's always better to be yourself but like at the time like him being an eight like an eighth grader and me being a sixth grader like that was the best advice he could have given me and, and so like I, I go in and that's what like i, I did and I became like a very like social person. Like in elementary school, I was very like uh, chess. That was my thing. Like everyone would play every day, like at lunch, or we would do like little like kid version of coding. So like that's what we were doing: chess and coding. That was me. Then I get into middle school, and then it's like girls. Like that. That's what. That's what everyone's talking about: sports. That's it. And so I had to, like, learn to, like, navigate, like, these, like, places. And it was, like, it was weird because I didn't feel like I was being authentic. But, like, I kind of, like, enjoyed it because, like, people, like, really liked who I was presenting as. 
and, and then I get to like high school and I went to a really small high school. I went to an early college, 75 people in my graduating class. Mm. And like, it was so different from like my middle school. Uh, like I had to like learn how to be somebody else in high school. And, and I was like, okay, like what, what, what am I trying to get out of this? Like, I'm trying to be like, like, like that's really just been my goal. Like in middle and high school, I just want to be like, and so, like, I had to change my personality, and it was so different from what I was in middle school. And and then, so, I, I did that, and then I, I kind of, like, over time, like, people started to like me. And then I got to college, get hit with an autism diagnosis. Mm. And I'm, like, my whole life, I've just been masking like i've been pretending to be like i still enjoy like being in large groups of people but i i need to know like pretty much like every single one of them for me to like really have like the best night of my life mm -hmm. you know like i i would like party but like it was with strangers and like i wasn't actually having a good time i was just being loud and laughing a lot you know and like now that i have this i've been so much more reserved like, I've been a lot more, like, careful about the people that, like, I let into my life and careful about, like, the things that I do because I think it's, like, I can still be, like, a talkative person, but it, it's so different now that, like, I have this diagnosis because I'm no longer just trying to, like, hide the things that I actually care about or the ways that I actually feel. Instead, I'm looking for, like, more, like, like-minded people who don't mind that like i can be quieter or when uh, or like work when i'm in my own spaces and things of that nature mm -hmm. you know yeah that makes sense thank you for sharing that yeah for sure you know um i feel like just with the nature of byu and the way you know just who's drawn to our university i feel like our interactions with people who have you know stories similar to yours are just few and far between so i really appreciate you coming and being on the and sharing these things today on the podcast absolutely i'm i'm happy to share it thank you for asking these questions for sure for sure oh yeah i think that's about all we got now we just do our awesome. recommendations. So at the end of every episode now, we just recommend something um, either that we're doing or enjoying or what have you. So we got those. Rachel, you want to go first? We'll let you go last. Yeah, we'll let you go last so you can think about what you want to recommend because me and Nate normally know when uh, we have to do, we're come, we come a little prepared. So <laughs> I have mine. Um, so you want me to go first, Nate? Yep, you got it. What you, what you got? Okay. My recommendation for everyone this week is to, well, first of all, it's um, on Friday. It is the Founders Day for my sorority, Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated, January 13th. Um, and so I recommend everyone to learn about Black Greek organizations. We talked a little bit today on the podcast. Um, and so I recommend doing some research. There's a ton on social media of people, a part of. Um, different organizations in the Divine Nine that have shared their stories, why they joined their specific fraternity or sorority, and just learning where they came from, because a lot of them um, came out of the fact that Black people were not allowed in other fraternities and sororities, and a lot of them were founded 
had HBCUs, not all of them. Um, and so it was just cool learning about them and seeing what they stand for and how they serve the black community, which is why I wanted to join um, my specific sorority. And um, yeah, so it's just very fun. It's something I'm very excited about. I am, it's my first Founders Day. So this is very important um, to my organization. It's just very fun. And so my recommendation is learning about that and seeing why I'm going to post like the crazy person on um, Friday. <laughs> there you go. Cool, cool. My recommendation this week, very simple. Um, you know, this time of year, a lot of people um, make New Year's resolutions, and like one of the most popular or most common resolutions is to to get back in the gym, start working out, and all that stuff. Um, and so, you know, this time of year, there's always a bunch of videos on my feed of like fit people walking into the gym at the beginning of the year and just seeing people do crazy stuff, right? Um, all kind of wild, like you know hip thrusting on the 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 leg machines and like just any just it's just it's like humorous right but like just people doing weird stuff in the gym because they have no idea what they're doing uh, so my recommendation for this year is um to just you know make time for like 30 minutes of some kind of fitness it doesn't have to be you getting into the gym it doesn't have to be you um like you know making wild goals or like setting goals to lose you know, crazy amounts of, of weight or anything like that. But just make a goal to take time for yourself, um, just 30 minutes a day, whether that's going to the gym, whether that's taking a walk, whether that is standing up at your desk where you work. Um, just take 30 minutes to just kind of take care of yourself in that way. Um, and that's my recommendation. Real simple, sweet to the point. Tanner, what's something you recommend? So what I'd recommend is uh, for you to learn something about blockchain today. Uh, I would say that you can uh, some good resources to learn about crypto are Coindesk.com, Coinbase.com. Those are some really good resources. They have their own like articles on it. Uh, maybe even buy a dollar of Bitcoin. You can buy as little as a dollar on pretty much like Cash App, Venmo, like or like actual crypto exchanges or anywhere you invest. Um, I Right now, Bitcoin is really down, but today was a good day, so I'm happy <laughs> about that. Yeah. Um, and 2024, not 2023, uh, <laughs> is going to be a really good year. That means you got some time to get your money in before uh, things are going to go back up. Well, Love we got to get you connected with Jared, our, our friend Jared. He oh, really Jared. Um, loves crypto yeah, all he does. This. so we got to get y'all connected because y'all can talk about this. period it's my passion like i just wrote a paper about how the underlying uh, underlying technology blockchain can be used for like securing our elections mm. oh man they can wow yeah like honestly i think like had we had a blockchain-based system it would have prevented january 6th from happening and that's pretty much what my uh, like paper was about, because all the like every action that's done on a blockchain is completely like public in the sense that anyone can like go to what we call a block explorer mm -hmm. and like look at what was done. You can look at like their wallet, their address, how much money they have, who they've sent it to. And like, it's not like names, it's just like a series of like letters and numbers mm -hmm. as like your like personal identity. So it's still private in that sense, but you can still like see what's happening. So you can know that this one person who had a verified vote 
like did not send a million different votes in. Interesting. Good to know. Yeah, I like that. It's just yeah. kind of like a continuation of where we are now, like as we encrypt more and privacy becomes more and more important. I think, yeah, blockchain will be a big part of that. Well, cool. I agree. All right. Well, with that, we'll end the show. Tanner, thank you so much for coming on to the show with us. It was good talking with you, getting to know you a little bit better. And thanks for all the work you do with the Menace Chapters. For sure. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I really love this podcast and I'm excited to listen to the future episodes. Good stuff. All right. We'll catch y'all later. It's always fun listening to your voice back. It's either fun or frightening. One of the two. So um, I hope that it's fun. (laughs) Fingers crossed because I'm kind of (laughs) scared. I'm just used to it at this point. I'm like, dang, that's my voice. huh? I just stuck with it. And that's what it's going to sound like. It's kind of like ASMR date. You're good, man. <laughs> hey, the mics in the office and the studio are very good. So they are, yeah. They pick up quality very well. We'd be in here making ASMR noises. <laughs> Hold on. Let me get a potato chip really quick. Wrap <laughs> it up. All right. We'll catch y'all next week. That's the show for today. We were super excited to be able to talk with you about the wonderful topics of the Black Menace podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at The Black Menaces and subscribe to our Patreon, The Menace Society, for bonus content and footage of both the podcast and our videos. We look forward to hearing from y'all in our email. You can email us Menace Moments and other questions that you may have for us. Be sure to email blackmenacepodcast at gmail.com to get those Menace Moments and questions flowing into our inbox. We'll answer you on the podcast and respond to you in the email. And remember, always be a menace. Thank you, guys.